And by the way, Eastern, we welcome you to come and be a part here at 3025 Southwestwood in Popsilva, Missouri. God bless you. Well, now it's Missouri because the weather's pretty good. It's misery if it's really cold outside. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to be in Aguas Calientes, Mexico with Isaac and Laura. Uh, in the church that I went down from South Florida to Aguas Calientes, I held a revival there that went two weeks. I had to fly home and then took up an offering, got, had a travel agent in the church, and she got me a ticket and got Eliezer a ticket, and Tony got a ticket also, my brother-in-law. We went back for a second week. Eight churches were birthed out of that revival, and there was a businessman called even, and others, you know, it was just standing room only. I mean, it was packed into a room. It was probably, maybe, not quite as wide as this, but about as deep as this right here. And it was jammed full, and people were coming in off the streets, and they would even crawl through the crowd to get up there to get prayer. A lot of people saved in that revival, healed, delivered. Uh, ladies had babies out of that revival, not during the revival, but they couldn't have a baby, and we prayed for them, and then they had babies the next year. They'd put them like up in my face and said, this is the baby that you, uh, you got me. I said, wait a minute. <laughs> I said, you know, I just prayed for it. Your husband and you are the one who made it happen but uh, a lot of neat things that town it's about two million plus it's an industrial city and uh, they have fabulous tacos too by the way if you ever go with me you'll never regret it they call them the glory tacos but it is a real blessing place and uh, I've ministered in several of the churches and we've had at one time as many as 13 churches that aligned with us there and the biggest one now is the one Isaac pastors he has just really rung the bell there and people the young adults are coming in out of the woodwork and he's got two services on Sunday now and I'm thinking he might have started one on Saturday night I believe but uh, I think the morning service at 11 last time I was there it was a full house like five six hundred people and uh, it's just going great and I'm so proud of him you know I dedicated that church dedicated his kids I did their wedding and they both told me we choose you to be our spiritual father and so it was a great honor to be bestowed on me to do that to be that and so I'm so happy to go down and hold the 25th anniversary services. There are three, three or four services that we'll have, and they're already looking forward to it. I'm getting messages on Facebook. I'm coming to the Saturday service, or I'm coming to this service. And, and so people get excited because, you know, you can't preach or teach like we do here unless you take a long time to do it. So I generally share the scripture that God has given me, 
few illustrations, and then I pray over people. And we've seen blind eyes opened and cripples healed and, and just a lot of healings. I mean, probably every kind of cancer you can imagine healed there. And just people, just prophetic words about their future and about what God's doing in their families. And so they, they really come out with a true belief that if they can get prayer, they're going to receive what they're coming for. That's called faith. And when people have faith in God, but they have faith in God because I'm representing him there, then it's okay. You know, uh, it's all right to appreciate a messenger of the Lord and that you can receive. You know, how many people go see Benny Hinn, you know, because he's got a healing gift? Or how many went to see Billy Graham? Most of those people that got saved in Billy Graham's crusades have been in church at one time or another. But they were returning to accept Jesus, most of them. I think that's a statistic. I forget what percentage. Something like 90% used to attend church at one time. But they came back home. They, he preached, you know, awesome messages on the prodigal son. So it was tremendous. Well, I've been teaching you a series called Unblocking Curses and Releasing Blessings. So... How many know you want to get rid of any curse ever spoken against you or upon your life and you want to release those blessings? God wants to open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessings upon you. But sometimes we can, uh, if you want to call it negative faith, you know, we have faith in the curse, so to speak. Well, I don't think I'll ever be able to do that. I don't think I could be that. You can be anything God wants you to be. Yep. Just go hear David Ring speak sometimes. Yep. He had cerebral palsy, and he stumbles over his words, and yet hundreds and thousands of people have been saved in his ministry yep. because he is not afraid to let God use him. So, you know, don't ever be afraid for God to use you. Now, the specific title tonight is the curse of legalism and I grew up in legalism now not all the church that I grew up in was good or bad you know some of it's indifferent uh, I have Pastor Ken and I both grew up in the same church we have great roots but there were certain things of that older generation that was legalistic and uh, you know I don't want to belabor my family, but anyway, Galatians chapter 3, let's look there in the first 10 verses, and I'll see if I can get it where I can see it here. It's up on the screen, I'm sure. But, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? This is Paul talking to the Galatians. He's not, there were Jewish people spread across Asia Minor 
But he was talking mostly to the Gentile church that had some Jewish believers in it. And so some of those Jewish believers wanted to go back. I'm sorry, my phone's going. It's sending me a notification, so I'm going to turn the volume down. Anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. You could do the same, maybe. But anyway, the thing is, they were trying to practice the Jewish practices along with being born again. You didn't need the law. The law was never abolished. Jesus came to fulfill the law, not abolish it. So he never got rid of it. That's why we have laws that we must obey today. Do not break in and enter and rob somebody's house. That is breaking the law. And we know there's ten basic commandments in Exodus 20. And that is the basis of the law that we have even today. Do not murder. Do not uh, be covetous and so on. There's so many. There's ten. And then there were many little other laws that they decided to design as a religion after that. You know, Jesus even spoke to it at times, you know. He said, hey, you, you don't want me to heal somebody on the Sabbath, but yet I saw, and I'm telling it my way, basically, do you leave your ox in the ditch? You get him out, even if it's on the Sabbath. And so that was like working. We go to Israel, and we're in the hotel, and we're usually there when we go on a tour for at least 10 days. And so guess what happens in the midst of that? The Sabbath. Well, they got a Sabbath elevator for the Jewish believers, or Jewish people, that practice all the law. They just get in, and they just stand there and wait till the door closes and then it goes up to the next floor next floor next floor and then it goes down 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 it stops at every floor so you don't have to work to push the button do you notice that when you're over there yeah every time i went five times i experienced that sometimes i said oh my goodness i got on the sabbath elevator and if i was on the 12th floor i was going to have to stop at every floor before i got to the lobby so Sometimes I'd get off at the 10th floor, go over and push the button, get on one that wasn't a Sabbath elevator so I could go directly down, you know, to the ground floor. But isn't that how silly the law is sometimes, that you can't even push a button on the elevator to say what floor you want to go to? That's straining the gnat and swallowing the camel if there is one. That's one illustration. But we see here in these scriptures, he said, This only I want to learn from you. Do, did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Okay, so are you so foolish? That's almost offensive. Are you such a dummy, in other words? Are you so foolish? Having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? Have you suffered so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? In other words, vain, 
When we say somebody has vanity, what are we saying? They're full of themselves. Sometimes I joke around with my Aunt Barbara. She says, you're so full of it. I say, well, what is it? What are you talking about? But, you know, I, I goof around and joke with her. But vanity is being full of it, kind of. You, you're full of yourself. You think highly of yourself. But he's saying, are you so vain in your religion that you're going to pretend that if you do all these things that you're going to be a good believer? He's saying, hey, you're not in the law anymore. Now we observe the law, and what the law does is that it identifies what sin would be. If you stole something, then you broke the law. See? The law is what says if you steal, then you're going to be in trouble. So the law is good, but not to the nth degree like I can't push a button on an elevator. I remember this guy I went fishing with one time. His wife was German, and he was an old codger. He was in customs in South Florida, and he didn't come to church. He was like 25 years older than her. And so he wanted to know why his wife liked our church so much. So he said, you think that preacher would go fishing with me? So she calls me. Ingrid was her name. She said, Joe wants to know if you would go fishing with me. I'm thinking, man, I've never met this guy. I hope he's not going to throw me out there to the sharks. So I said, yeah, I'll go fishing with him. So we went out deep sea fishing. He got a buddy from his work who had a boat to take us. And boy, we had a great time. We caught our limit, 15 dolphins each. It wasn't dolphins like porpoise. It was dolphin fish. They're rainbow-colored fish. Now, if you go and get some tacos, the Baja tacos at Casa Grande, that is mahi-mahi. Mahi-mahi is dolphin fish. It's the steak of the sea. I mean, it is, it's white meat, but it, it's not blubbery. I mean, you... You talk about good. I'm making myself hungry right now. I'd like to have some of that. But it was wonderful. And uh, we caught it, and we got him. We, he paid a, a guy at the dock to clean them for us. And he had a cooler that long, that deep, and that wide, full of that fish. That fish back in 1992, before the hurricane hit, was about $9.99 a pound. It was expensive. Now I don't know what it'd be, maybe 28 bucks a pound. But he gave me some in aluminum foil, a chunk. I mean, it filled our freezer. We ate mahi-mahi blackened. We ate it fried. We ate it broiled. We ate it, uh, how do you do it with Cajun spices? And blackened, I think, anyway. Yep. Anyway, we, we ate it. And it was good. And uh, it was delicious. But you see, he wanted to know what makes you tick. What makes a person be a Christian? And so I was able to share with him how it is to be a Christian. He said, oh, okay. He gave me the fish. And then two weeks later, he came to church. And he kept coming to church until about the third or fourth time when I made the altar call. 
he raised his hand and he accepted Jesus. And then shortly after that, the hurricane hit and destroyed our church and displaced people. And I heard that he had sold out and moved up to Tennessee. And then about six months later, he died of a heart attack. He was up in his 70s. And uh, you know what thrilled me? Is he got saved. Because he went fishing. And I was able to share the gospel with him. But you see, people that are hungry to know God are not hungry all the time for legalism. You know, and there's various belief systems that are different. We, I'll give you, for instance, for baptism, for instance. I baptize people in water. I do it. I immerse them. And I do it by the authority of Jesus Christ's name in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. I cover every base. When I was a school principal years ago, we had 50 churches represented. And there was one church where the students were from that got to arguing with Paul Fischel, who was the religion teacher, the Bible teacher, about whether a person's saved if they didn't get baptized. They were trying to tell him, you're not saved until after you're baptized in water. So he got tired of arguing with them. It wasn't that he didn't think they should be baptized. Yes, we believe you need to be baptized. But you see, legalism tries to say you got to do it. And sometimes people got a baptistry that's full of water, and they can go ahead and baptize you the same night you get saved. Well, that's awesome. I'm all for it. But uh, he brought these kids up to me, about three of them. He said, I'm not going to argue with these kids anymore, Mr. Mack. Uh, could you talk to them? I said, I said, what's the problem? And they told me. I said, now, I, I was going to Assembly of God Church. I said, I was raised Pentecostal, and they were Pentecostal. And I said, now, if I went to your church and I wasn't saved, and I went to the altar, let's say it was on a Wednesday night, and I became born again, but you didn't have no water in the baptismal. Now, they'd say, we'll have water on Sunday if you come back. But on my way home, I get hit by a train, and I die. And I asked these kids, I said, they were teenagers, like, you know, 8th, ninth grade, something like that. I said, would I go to heaven or would I go to hell? And they looked at me and said, well, you'd go to heaven. I said, well, there you go. I said, it's not that I wasn't saved. I just didn't get to be baptized as soon as I possibly could have if you'd had water in your tank. Now, I think it is important that we try to get people to get baptized. That's what Jesus said to do, baptizing them, and so on. So, But the legalistic side of what they were being taught was, if you're not baptized in water, you're not saved. But that's not the case. Because you're saved is why you get baptized. Why would I get baptized if I'm not saved? You see. So this is what Paul was dealing with religiously. He's saying, why are you so bound up in the law? Who's bewitched you? Was Jesus enough? The Spirit in you because you followed the law or because you accepted Jesus to these Galatians? And it goes on and he says, 
Therefore, he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? That's why I say there's no religiosity way to do everything. There was a guy that was with us in South Florida, and, and he was one of our trained ministers, and he was learning. And, and so he tried to do a deliverance over a lady, and nothing happened. And he was frustrated to no end. So they grabbed me, grabbed my shirt, and said, Pastor, you need to come over and do it. And it was a short little African-American gal. And I looked at her, and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And I got up in her ear, and I whispered in her ear where nobody could hear it. I said, the Holy Spirit just told me he forgives you for the abortion that you had. And I mean, she went, she fell down, grabbing her stomach, crying and sobbing. And, you know, I, I had a couple of ladies come over and just pray alongside her. And, and when she got up, she was smiling. See, she hadn't told nobody in our church about that. And she felt shame. She felt like she wasn't good enough because of what she did. And so I prayed with her and talked to her. I said, you know, you're a great person in Jesus. Don't let the devil beat you up anymore. And then I said, and you'll see your baby in heaven, by the way. And so she was able to grow after that. And uh, she got married to our Genesis at the complex. And it was great. It was awesome. So, you see, legalism isn't just doing something the way, like a formula, in other words. He tried to deal with her, and he didn't have the right knowledge. Zach's been saying this on Sunday. He's saying he's been enjoying some silent waiting on the Holy Spirit of prayer. And... So a lot of the time when I'm ministering, I'm praying in the Spirit or I'm sitting on the front row praying in the Spirit while the service is going on and the Lord might start showing me things. And uh, so he showed me that about her, but I didn't go blab it and I didn't say it over the microphone. This is what it is. I didn't need to shame her further by what she had done. I just spoke the word in her ear and the Lord liberated her just like that. I didn't even have to lay hands on her. It was quite amazing. Anyway, let's go on. Where are we at? Verse 6. Just as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, therefore know that only those who are of faith are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand saying, In you all the nations shall be blessed. The nations uh, is a word in the Old Testament that in the Hebrew is goye or the goyim and that means 
the ethnic groups, the different people groups. And, of course, ethnos in the Greek, which means ethnic groups. So he's saying all the ethnic groups will be blessed, no matter what tribe or what grouping they come from. So then those who are of faith are blessed with believing Abraham, for as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them. Now, I'd like to say this. There's two questions. The first one's this. Who has bewitched you? That's what Paul asked him. Who has fooled you and deceived you? And number two, did you receive Jesus by works or grace? So that's the, the key is the answer is this in Ephesians 2, verse 4 through 9. And it says there an answer. And it says, but God, everybody say, but God. But God See, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Isn't that awesome? You didn't earn it. You didn't have to run three miles to be approved, you know. All kinds of stuff, you know, when you're taking tests and classes and things. Even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up all or together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Wow! Man, get a picture of that. When you accept Jesus Christ, by faith, you can sit with him in heavenly places. Now, I don't know very many people that physically have gone up to heaven and sat with Jesus up there in heaven. But we sit in heavenly places. I know there's a movie out that has broke records now. It's a documentary about after death or something. I forget the name of it. It's by the same people who did that Sound of Freedom. But they interviewed a bunch of people that have had out-of-body or after-death experiences and then come back to tell about it. Uh, I've heard some people personally in church services, you know, that have had that kind of experience. And I had one in my own church that that happened. Abel was his name. He was my Puerto Rican secretary's sister's husband, and he was... He just wouldn't go to church. But he liked working on cars, so he was working on a car up on jacks. And he was trying to get that, you know, wrench to break that thing loose. And when he did, that car shifted and slipped off of one of the jacks and crushed him on his chest. And so the neighbor saw it happen, run over there. He couldn't get him out. And so he yelled, call 911. He started getting a jack and jacking the car back up and pulled him out from underneath the car and he was turning black and blue and they took him by helicopter down to Jackson uh, Hospital like Barnes in St. Louis they took him to the Ryder Trauma Center part of it and he got in there and our church service was starting about that time and his wife called her sister uh, who then came to me Regina Rodriguez was her name. And she told me, said, we need to pray for Abel because 
this car crushed him, and they don't know if he's going to make it. Well, we began, we started the service interceding for him that night. And we prayed until we got done praying. And I went down there to see him, and I don't remember if it was that night or next morning. Anyways, I think she called and said, well, he's, he's uh, stable. So the next morning I went down there, went in that hospital room. He was sitting up talking to the nurses and doctors. And uh, he said, you know when that happened, he said, Pastor Kevin, I saw a light and I went to this spot in that light. It was kind of like the end of the tunnel, you know, type deal. And he said, there was a voice that said, I'm the Lord, and I'm going to give you a chance if you'll believe and go back and tell others that I'm real. He said, oh, I believe in Jesus now. He said, I cried out to him, and he said, all I feel is love. And he said, you know what? I was crushed. He said, I think they said I died for a little bit. And that's when he went up and talked to Jesus. And they did whatever they do, you know, to bring people back. And, and he said, look. And he raised his robe and showed me he was crushed. He said, they x-rayed me after I got in here, and they couldn't find a broken bone. They said, I don't even have a bruise. He said, they're letting me go home today. He went home, and he went and started knocking on all the neighbors' doors in the whole block, Leisure City. He said, I told everyone I'm Jesus loves them, and that I've been a mean, old Puerto Rican man, and I, did, I hated you guys, I didn't like you, and, that's, and he said, I'm not mean anymore. I love you. Jesus loves you. He was witnessing to everybody. <laughs> he came to church and, and gave his testimony. It was pretty awesome. But uh, you see, thing is, Jesus, he can do anything. He's not bound by the Old Testament. He is. He fulfilled it. He fulfilled the law. So, he didn't have to do anything to get saved. All he had to do was because of the prayers of the saints, was except Jesus, who he met in the light. What a fortunate situation. But anyway, we, he goes on. Where was that? Verse 7? That in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. How many are glad God was kind toward us in Christ Jesus? For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't keep the law enough to be perfect enough to be a Christian. You're going to flub. You're going to mess up at times. And you, then you've got to say you're sorry when you've done somebody wrong or spoke to them not in such a nice way and you know I found out in my life I have to say I'm sorry a lot but it's worth it so the statement one is this we do not do good works to get saved 
We do them because we are saved. Isn't that wonderful? You'll never do enough good works to be saved. But because you get saved, you want to do good things for people. All right. Galatians 2.16. I'm just going to read it off the screen. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law no flesh shall be justified. That means nobody can do it good enough to be justified. You are born a sinner, and until you're saved by grace, because you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you just won't be saved. They'll say, oh, but he was a good man, and so on and so forth. There was a man here in Poplar Bluff, or actually didn't live in the city, he was a farmer, but this man would send his tithes with his wife every Sunday. You know what? He was blessed. And he always had a good harvest. And then finally he got real sick, and he was up in years. I think he was probably 80s or whatever. But his daughter went and saw him and said, Dad, it just grieves me. I don't want to not see you when I go to heaven. And she cried and broke, and she led him to the Lord Jesus Christ. This man, he gave his tithes, and he was blessed. His wife was saved, and boy, she could testify. But, you know, he didn't get saved until his daughter led him to the Lord on his deathbed. Tithing works, but it wasn't getting him into heaven. It just, it just helped him to be blessed on earth. But he had to accept Jesus to go to heaven. So what a wonderful thing. Romans 11 and 6 says, And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, works is no longer works. That sounds like a conundrum or something. <laughs> Tongue twister. If you do it by grace, it doesn't have anything to do with works. But like I said, you'll do the good works because you're saved, etc., etc. Question, do you have to be baptized to be saved? No, that's the story I told you. So I don't have to tell that story again. I jumped the gun, didn't I? Luke 23, 42 and 43 says, Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember you when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Talking about the thief on the cross. One of them mocked him, and the other one said, Lord, remember me. Well, Jesus didn't come off the cross and baptize him in water. That's the one scripture you can stand on. You don't have to be baptized to be saved. I don't even have to, you don't even have to be immersed necessarily. You know, I used to, question about then I worked in a Methodist church and they did it either way they'd sprinkle you or they'd immerse you whichever one you wanted and I, when I was down in Homestead I had a man that had cancer and he came to church with his IV pole he got saved while I was in Israel and I got a prophetic word and Brother Gorman was preaching a five week revival for me that's how long it went and in our church so I went to Israel with five people 
while he was preaching revival. I, I couldn't. I could have said, no, don't preach while I'm gone. But I said, no, go ahead and keep coming. Let's keep this thing going. So anyway, I got a prophetic word. I got up in the middle of the night, dragged the telephone, the line into the bathroom, and I dialed my, back then you had these cards with numbers that you could use to charge the phone call. They didn't have these little cell phones, you know, like we do now. And that was 1995. They did have cell phones, but they were big, like walkie-talkies, like the army. And I called, and, and the Lord told me, I tried three times, but on the third time is when they answered. Well, my numbers went through, and the Holy Spirit said, don't worry, do it again. Paul Mahilla will be sitting in the sound booth, one of our sound techs, and we had the phone in the sound booth. If anybody had an emergency, they'd call. The sound man would answer the phone. Well, he answered the phone. Hello. I said, Paul. And the Lord told me, he said, Julio will be standing next to the sound booth. He was our Mexican Spanish pastor. And he said, Bobby, the youth pastor, will be standing on the platform with the mic like they're waiting for the Holy Spirit to speak through somebody. Because that's how it worked back then, too. And so the Lord told me, I said, it's Julio. I didn't whisper. I kind of did because Alfonso, my co-pastor, was sleeping in the bedroom. I said, is Julio standing next to the sound booth? He said, yeah. I said, is Bobby on the platform with the mic? Yeah. I said, tell Julio to go up to Bobby. Tell him I need the cordless mic and bring it back here to the telephone. And so he brought it back and he stuck it on the earpiece and I said, the Lord's telling me that th this is going to be a great healing service tonight. Now, I'm in Jerusalem in the hotel bathroom, and it's the middle of the night for me, and y'all are having service, but the Holy Spirit spoke to me, and I said, tell the people for Brother Gorman to pray for the sick because they'll be healed. And by the way, there's a man that's never been to our church before sitting right over there. I described it, sound booth. I said he's on the right side facing the platform. He's got kind of grayish brown hair. He's tall, and his wife is shorter with dishwater blonde hair, and she's wearing a blue sweater. I said, tell Brother Gorman if he prays for him, he'll be healed of cancer. Man, did I stick my neck out on a line? Yeah. I knew the Holy Ghost had spoken to me. Brother Gorman went back there. His name was Dana Bruni, and he had a tumor in his esophagus area. And Brother Gorman laid his hands on him, prayed for him. He went back to the doctor. The tumor was gone when he went back. Now, but he had cancer in other locations. I don't understand this. God healed him of the tumor. And he lived a while longer. Now they said this guy told more terrible bad jokes. He worked at Florida Power and Light. Hank Bowles invited him because he knew he had cancer. And he came and he got delivered of that. His wife got saved also. They both got saved gloriously. When I got back, I baptized her in my swimming pool. And then in church, because he had the IV and he couldn't be immersed, I got a cup full of water in front of the congregation. I said, in the name 
by the authority of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, I baptize you today. And I doused him with a big cup full of water. And everybody rejoiced and were glad. It wasn't a sprinkle and it wasn't an immersion. It was a dousing. But he told that thief, he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And if you remember the story of the rich man and the beggar, the rich man in hell said, please go, if you'll let Lazarus come back from the dead, the beggar Lazarus, not Lazarus, the one he raised from the dead, but and if you'd let him go back and warn my brothers, you know, this they don't want to come here. It was hell. Timmy and I had a discussion. He said, well, it's called Hades. I said, Hades is the name of the cave opening. The gates of hell, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against the church. Hades is a temporary name for hell, and the gates were there in Caesarea Philippi where Jesus said, who do men say that I am? Peter said, you're the son of the living God. He said it wasn't flesh and blood that revealed that but my Father who is in heaven. So you see, you know, all this is interesting because he told that guy, because he believed in him, today you'll be with me, and there was a fixed gulf between Hades and Abraham's bosom, and they could see them over there. I'm not so sure they could see the ones in hell, but they could see them in paradise. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. And then when he was raised from the dead, he preached to them, and they knew who he was finally, that Jesus, the Son of the living God, and Abraham, Moses, David, all of them believed, and he took them out and led them out. He led captivity out, and he took them to heaven. They're not there anymore. They're not in paradise and I'm sorry for the Catholics, there's no, what's the par purgatory. purgatory? There's no purgatory. There used to be a paradise, but it's not, we're not there anymore. We're in heaven. You either believe or you don't believe. You're in either heaven or you're in hell. Nobody can pray you out of hell. Nobody can pay enough money to get you out of hell. You've got to believe yourself. Mm -hmm. Faith in Jesus Christ, and you're saved by grace. So, let me see here. Where am I? Okay, John 3.16. You know that verse. What time is it? We doing all right? If for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Awesome. That man on the cross that believed, he has everlasting life because Jesus died on the cross for his sins too. He was the first born-again believer. Jesus preached to on the cross. Philippians 2.12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. That doesn't mean you do works, but you know what? Once you believe, you that's why some people need counseling. Some people need deliverance. But it's included in salvation, which that word in the original is sozo, to deliver, save, heal, 
protect, prosper, make whole, rescue. All those are words that describe the sozo, the salvation. So he'll deliver you, he'll heal you, he'll save you, he'll protect you, he'll raise you up, he'll make you whole. Hallelujah. I'm about to get happy. Because you can truly be saved. This is number two statement. Truth and grace by faith lead you to salvation. And we are blessed then by how we live. You get saved. Man, it's glorious. I don't have this weight on me anymore. Wow, isn't this awesome? And then you prove it by how you live after that. You've changed. People say, man, you're not the way you used to be. I went to preach in Oklahoma City when I was about 24 years old. And a guy walked in in a police uniform. His dad was the pastor. We went to college together. He said, man, I cannot believe you're a preacher. I said, I can't believe you're a policeman. We were rowdy. I kind of run wild there for a while. I danced on the tables at the Hitchin Post, Country Western Saloon. I danced to country music. I liked it. I didn't like country music that much, but I just liked dancing. And I liked wearing cowboy boots. So Don and I would wear our cowboy boots and go down there with our cowboy boots and our belt buckles, and we would dance. But you see, I cut that stuff out. When I got saved, man, I started to do the works of God. I wasn't going that route anymore. That's why he said, I can't believe you're a preacher now. I said, well, I can't believe you're a policeman. Man, isn't this awesome? We're living for God. That's the way it ought to be. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Man, we get transformed. I started to say transferred. (laughs) We get transformed from glory to glory. What an awesome thing it is. You get to witness to people. And then, you know, my friend Johnny Karkian, he's an Armenian. He's the head of the union of the Grand, used to be Grand Trunk Western Railroad Engineers. He got elected again as president of the union. And he serves Jesus. And he sends me a text. I can show you his text to me. He sent me a picture. This is Eric. This is Ruby. This is Ahmad. This is, and he said, they accepted the salvation track in the devotional from uh, Brightmore Tabernacle in outside Detroit there. He said, and I invited them to come to church. Many of them have come to church now. He's on fire. He was a hard nut to crack now, I'll tell you that. He's one of my running buddies. Railroad engineer, tough guy, big Armenian guy, you know. But now he's been transformed. He's going from glory to glory every day. He sends me a text every day who he's handing salvation tracks to. He says, pray for them that the Holy Spirit would enlighten them and open their hearts to receive Jesus as their Lord and Savior. Man, I tell him, I said, you're, you're not Johnny Kirkian anymore. You're Johnny Appleseed for Jesus. 
you're sharing the seed all over the place. It's awesome. Galatians 3, 13. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. Jesus was hung on the cross so that the law, because you can never keep it. It's a curse. If you can't keep the law, it's a curse. You'll never live for God effectively. But by being saved by grace through faith in Jesus, He can remove the impediments. He can deliver you. He can set you on fire in the Holy Ghost. And you can be anything He wants you to be. Glory. Statement number three. The Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 was the foundation for the law. I already shared that. I got, a, I got out of alignment when I shared it with you before. But there it is. Statement four. We still have the law, but Jesus made a way for us to keep it. He didn't come to abolish it. He came and fulfilled it by hanging on the tree and taking the curse on himself. And he sets us free. Matthew 5, 17 and 18. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. He came to fulfill the law. Man, now he makes a way that we can keep the law. I don't want to steal because I don't want to disappoint Jesus. Plus, I was raised not to steal. Plus, if you get caught, you could go to jail. You get in trouble. It's not good. Example, tithing, for instance. That was in the Old Testament, but it's fulfilled. We do it now because we love Jesus, not because the law makes us do it. Malachi 3.10 tells you, Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. See, there was more than one tithe back in the Old Testament. They had one tithe that was for the priest, one tithe that was for to help the poor and the needy, another tithe was kind of to help you have some retirement or future. That's the best way I can explain it. There's more in some of these financial classes that we teach that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be enough room to receive it. Man, how many of y'all want a bank account that big? Isn't that awesome? <laughs> but you know, see, they didn't have Medicaid. They didn't have Medicare. They didn't have welfare checks. They didn't have all the government programs, food stamps and commodities and all these things that help people today. Now they're giving a card for those who get Medicare. I think, I see it on the internet. They say, you can now get a card for $360 if you're on Medicare for senior citizens for, to help you buy food, meat, or whatever. And so, anyway, this is... Basically, in the church, before there was ever any community things like Medicaid or Medicare, the church was supposed to give so good that the bank accounts would be running over that when somebody was in need, they'd just come to church. Sure, we can do that for you. We can help you with that. Hey, let's get a construction crew, go over and rebuild that house that got damaged in the tornado. 
they weren't worried about insurance back in them days. We didn't have insurance back in the Old Testament. We didn't have all that. It was God's people that did the supply. That's why he said bring all the tithes. Of course, it's mandatory we give the tithes to the government, income taxes. It's mandatory we give the Social Security tax. It's mandatory, see, so that then the 10% you give into the church as a believer today, that's so that your 90% goes farther in the house of God. We have lights. We pay the electric bill. We got a mortgage, and thank God it's going down. We bought this church for $500,000. We renovated it. Initially, it was about 200000 and then we put thousands in it after that, and the insurance company says this building's worth $768,000 if we had to replace it. Well, we pay a $3,300 a month mortgage. We used to have a second mortgage because we need to get more money to help finish the renovation. Hello. You see, God has helped us, and we were given a church that we sold over on NN Highway, and that paid off our second mortgage, and I gave a tithe of that to Mexico when I went on one of my previous trips. That's how I bought those air conditioners for the missionaries down there, and heaters, and so on with excess money out of that after I paid off the second mortgage. Now we owe like 120000 I think it is. I'd have to go look to be exact. So out of 700, let's say $750,000, we only owe one hundred twenty, And the land's worth about two or 300000 And then we got a second building worth, the insurance company says worth 228000 so this is over a million dollar property when you look at it that way. And if we could beautify it, if the attendance went up and the tithing went up and we had money, we could pave the outside parking lot and, and fix the roof a little bit. Right now it's not leaking, thank God. It was leaking at one time, now it doesn't. Maybe an angel stuck his finger in there when it was raining real hard the other day. But you see where we are? We're blessed, but we could be more blessed, and we hope to be. You see, I believe God's going to just pour out his, not just his spirit, but when he pours out his spirit, and then there's more people come to receive it, and more people to give, then everything gets taken care of. Praise the Lord. There's never lack. Yeah, there is more souls come in. And we see, where am I at now? Number four, we still have the law, but Jesus made a way for us to keep it. Matthew 5, 17 and 18, did I read that? Yes. I did. How, and I talked about tithing. Hebrews 10, 25 says, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as it is the manner of some. Some don't come to church anymore. Don't go anywhere, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. How many think it, we're in some troubled times right now? How many think we could possibly be in the last days? 
Well, guess what? You should be going to church more now than you've ever gone before because we need to be getting together and praying and worshiping and hearing the word and believing God in all ways. Uh, Lucia and I were in a restaurant on, I think it was Monday or Tuesday, forget which. And this young lady came over and engaged a conversation with us. We were like only this, it was like two in the afternoon. So there was only like two or three tables with people at it. And she got talking to us and we got talking to her. And I found out she had three kids. And I found out that uh, she was raised by her grandma in Arkansas in a Pentecostal church. And she wasn't going to church anymore. And so she's got these three kids. And she's... Uh, and, and I said, well, where do you go to church? And she said, I don't go right now. I need one. I said, well, you know what? We have a church called Heartland Christian Family Church. And I said, I'm one of the pastors. My son, Zach, is the one that's preaching there and leading the local church now. And I said, we'd be happy to have you come. And she was just thrilled. She said, I, tell me where it is. Give me the address. I'm coming on Sunday. You know, a lot of people tell you that. But Lucia wrote it all down, and she took it. Come to find out, she knew John John, Chelsea's husband, because they're the same age. They went to school together. And I just got telling them who my kids were and all that good stuff, and, and she was just thrilled. And so I told Chelsea she was at the house last night, and she looked her up on Facebook, and the girl had already posted said, Amazing thing happened to me today. I was waiting on this couple and come to find out he was a preacher. And they got a church and they want me to come to it. And they got some other young people and I know a few of them and said, I'm so excited, I'm going on Sunday. She put it on her Facebook post. I got chills right now. And if she's watching, I timber if you're watching me. We're, we're waiting on you, you and your family. Bring them on. We want you. We want you here. We're like Uncle Sam. We want a few good men and women, okay, that want to come and serve Jesus with us. Hallelujah. The law, no most violations are missing the mark. I think Zach talked about that. Pastor Ken probably too and myself that really sin is missing the mark. And when you don't keep the law, you're missing the mark. But Jesus makes a way for you to do it. Love makes a way for you. In Luke 15, 20 through 24, I'm closing with this. And he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. I know I'm not a vegetarian. I'd be joining in that celebration. 
For this my son was dead and is alive again, and he was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Isn't, you know what? It's time to have some celebrations. Let's start bringing in some prodigals. Let's get them in church. Get them into our family, into relationship with us. Bring them on the 19th especially, and they can eat turkey and ham and dinner with us that Sunday after church. Let's just, let's get them in here from the highways and the byways. Let's compel them to come in. And let's build the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Amen. Stand with me tonight. Father, we love you. We thank you for Jesus. Jesus is so awesome. And it's such a privilege to serve him and serve your kingdom, Father. We ask for your will to be done, your kingdom to come here on earth as it is in heaven. May we see a glorious glory-to-glory glory revival where people come to know you and to where they don't want to ever miss. In Jesus' name, amen. Aunt Barb always wants to come every Sunday. She never attended church much. But she had Thanksgiving with us last year, and now she hadn't missed a Sunday. It's pretty awesome. Let's get a few more of those in here. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.